all of this adversity that we've been dealing with, you know, adversity is nothing new to me. I'm officially claiming that I'm the dean of Adversity <laughs> University. You know, like <laughs> you know, as a as an immigrant, as a as a brown skin man, as as someone who's like Spanish is my first language, like having to always assimilate, having to always adapt, having always to comfort others with the comfort of who you are. It that's just those are just daily adversity situations and circumstances that I've existed with, and so. Adversity is nothing new, and I've dealt with so many other adversities, from emotional to life to you know, just like everybody else. We all have our stuff, and it's how you face and deal with those things that build up your character. You know, it's no different than like, yeah, like sure, maybe I've placed well in a certain race, and honestly, I hate to say this, but I, I can care less how well I do or not. But right. That moment where we described earlier, where it took me. Three and a half hours to walk seven miles while I watched Stephanie win Western States. Like that to me was very character building and really, really important part of who and what I am today, and how I can utilize that as a skill set and a tool set to face life. Maravilla. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Stephanie and Jorge are quite the power couple, and it was a treat to sit down with the two of them recently at their home here in Marin County, where we all live. A little on their respective running backgrounds, Stephanie is the 2014 Western States Endurance Run Champion. She's finished in the top 10 at UTMB and won numerous other races at various distances over the course of her career. Jorge is a two-time national champion on the trails at the 100-mile and 100K distances. He won the Masters National Cross Country title in 2018, and he's also got a 221 marathon personal best to his credit. In this conversation, we talked a little about running, but mostly about how their relationship came to be, navigating new beginnings, their different backgrounds growing up, and becoming parents together recently, and all of this was intertwined around themes of respect, trust, community, exploration, and a lot more. A big thank you to Tracksmith for their continued support of the podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and evolving culture of the sport. They recently released their spring collection full of stylish gear perfected for the pursuit of personal excellence. It's designed for running hard and logging miles as the season shifts. My favorite piece from this latest collection is the Reggie Half Tight with a built-in liner, folks. They also have a non-lined version of this piece, but I'm telling you, once you go lined, you will never go back. At least I won't anyway. They're perfect for these cool spring mornings, and I love wearing them for track workouts when it's time to run fast. Right now, Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Just use the code MARIO15, that's MARIO15, when you check out at Tracksmith.com. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder. Man, I just love these sunglasses. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all... They're super fun. They come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. 
Gooders are also super affordable with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece, which makes them way more appealing than the expensive shades you're almost guaranteed to crush or lose. So if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or maybe two pair or three of Gooders and head over to gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your entire order. Your face will thank you. All right, this is a long one, folks, but I think you'll really enjoy it. And at some point, I'll need to have both Stephanie and Jorge on individually because there's so much more that I want to talk about with each of them. But for now, here's me with Stephanie Howe and Jorge Maravilla. Stephanie Howe, Jorge Maravilla, it's great to be in your home, and thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, what a pleasure and honor to be here. Well, let's start with the here and now. How, how did we get here? Fill me, <laughs> fill me in. Um, you could each take your separate turns and give your own versions of the story, but you guys have called San Rafael home for, let's see, the past eight months or so now. Yeah. I think you said you moved mm-hmm. here last August, you have a son together. Go. <laughs> oh boy, how far back should we go? Uh-huh. <laughs> to the very beginnings. <laughs> you can start. Wow. Well, you know me, I'm, I don't have uh, short stories. <laughs> uh, where shall we start? I would say, I mean, Stephanie and I have known each other for over 10 years or so. Um, we used to share a common sponsor, Cliff Bar specifically. And I think also just being in the sport as a participant and as a fan for over 10 years, I've always been a fan of hers. And uh, yeah, we've worked together on different things and saw each other at different races. But I would say it's interesting that how we live in this world of social media where she had posted something that was very revealing in the tone of, there was something going on in her life. Mm-hmm. And it was something where I've always felt close with certain friends and feel like, hey, it is a personal duty and obligation for me to reach out to friends when I feel like they're in need, whether they are calling for it or not. And so, uh, yeah, I, she had put up a post where she basically was stating she, you know, she's not in a very good place and her heart was hurting and whatnot. And so I took it upon myself, like, I have Stephanie's cell phone number. I'm going to contact her and be her friend, whether she's asking me for that or not. And so I reached out and just said, hey, Steph, um, I saw your post. I have an incredible amount of respect, care, and love for you as your friend. I'm here. What's going on? I'm sure you have an extensive support group, but I just want you to know I'm here. I'm willing and listening, and I want to be of help. And she was very responsive to that. And yeah, we just then started talking and revealing. And as it turns out, we actually had very similar um, circumstances and situations of our past relationships. And we just essentially got to talking and talking and talking more and being supportive friends to one another and listening to one another. And then it reached a point where, at least for me, and I think it was mutual, just kind of said, this may seem silly and I'm sorry if I'm bringing this up, but I think it would be really, really like uh, 
a disservice for us to not explore the possibilities mm-hmm. of you and I, you know, of just talking more and like, and I think it was a very mutual feeling and we just got to talking and next thing you know, we were like, you know, two junior high kids talking to each other every day <laughs> and like FaceTiming and just, you know, really revealing more and more about each other. And I think uh, the beauty of that also because of the, our past, we were also both very willing to be exposing ourselves, mm-hmm. not afraid of fear itself and then just being very willing to like open up and be like this is me this is who i am this is what's going on in my life this is what i've experienced and i think having that uh that charming feeling of like willing to take a leap of faith but knowing like this is who i am this is what i want and you know let's explore help frame this for me in terms of a timeline uh (laughs) Well, this was actually funny enough. Uh, I I I think I saw your post somewhere around like the Christmas time. You texted me on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, yeah. And I think we were then... Uh, 2019. 2019. 2019, okay. yes. Uh, and I think we were sort of jumping back and forth through text uh, the day after Christmas um, and just, uh, yeah, just staying in touch and sort of sending texts and then just trying to coordinate like when can we talk and it was just very much like hey I want to hear you and you know once I heard her like I said hey well let me reveal to you you know what's happened in Mm -hmm. my past and and then we just were very uh willing to be open and expose ourselves you know and I think that's was a really good genesis to like what it's it's become and Stephanie when this was all happening you're in Bend he's here in the Bay Area. So you've got geography separating the two of you. When did it first feel like, okay, we're clearly connecting on some level here. We're talking all the time. Let's get together in person. Yeah. It it took a while for us to actually meet in person. I think it was March when I first came down for a visit, maybe February. I was was bouncing all over the place. Um, When we first talked, I was in Minnesota visiting my parents Mm -hmm. for Christmas. And I had recently had a surgery um, on my Achilles. And so I was healing from that. And um, funny enough, we had, I think I had come down here to visit just for a weekend in February. Yeah. (laughs) And it was kind of just like, we didn't do anything but just go mountain bike, eat, uh, eat some good food and just hang out and talk. And it was amazing. And after that, I had a trip planned with a friend um, to Anguilla, which was like a present to the two of us to go to this tropical island and have this great time, just my friend Karen and I. And while I was there, I got a staph infection in my foot. It was just pretty, it, well, I guess my surgery had been about eight weeks ago, mm-hmm. but it wasn't quite healed. And I went in the ocean and towards the end of my trip, I started getting feverish and my foot was swelling up. So I called my doctor who happened to be in Colorado and sent him some photos, and he was like, uh, you need to come straight here. So I left, I left the island a little early, flew straight to Colorado, and we had been talking that entire time, and I was like, hey, this is happening. And um, Jorge was like, well, can I come help? And I was like, that would be great. So he flew out to Vail. I, I actually, I booked his ticket for him, and he was at work, and I was like, can you leave in about two hours? 
<laughs> he was like, sure, let me, let me get some stuff together. So he came out and literally it went from me seeing my doctor, not knowing what was going to happen to, to full on surgery again. And then staying in the hospital for four days and he stayed in the hospital with me. So we kind of went from just talking on the phone to a short visit to suddenly caring for me in the hospital for this four days. This is your days. second time hanging yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. You, you don't really hide much when that happens. No. And we were just really comfortable with each other. And that was like a really big bonding experience. That was in February, I yeah. believe. Yeah. And actually, I think... You just said something really important. Like we were very comfortable with each other, but I think it's a lot to do with also we were just comfortable with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like we were both could look in the mirror and be like, "I'm comfortable with who I am, and this is who I am." But yeah, it was uh, uh, with her four days, all day. The only time I left was to go get some, of course, good quality coffee and some good food, and then come back and then just completely care for her, you know. And uh, then after that, we just kind of then. Well, you came back to bend with me. I did. Yep, because this was all, we were playing everything by ear because we didn't know what was right. going to happen. Um, and I was on crutches again. So he flew back to bend to make sure I could take care of myself for yeah. a few days. And after that, well, small, small side trip, I, I work with Protect Our Winters. And I had a trip planned to the state capitol in Oregon to do some lobbying a few days later. So I was like, well, I'm going to come down to San Francisco because I can't really take care of myself right now. But I first need to go to the Capitol and do this lobbying trip that I've planned. So I, I went there and I had a pink cast on and was in crutches and it was a great conversation starter. <laughs> <laughs> but that was important to me to, to do. But after that, I came down here and I really didn't leave. So from yeah. March on... Yeah, I've been here. I've been here. And, you know, it was interesting because all of this was just happening and we were just moving stride by stride together and uh, just kind of retracting a little bit. Um, her trip to Mill Valley was, like, <laughs> we, we jokingly have said, like, at the end of the trip, I was like, gosh, like, I swear everyone who you met, those were not paid actors because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, it was just remarkable how the community responded to seeing us together, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it was something that I myself cannot, like, like even imagine, like, wow, how people were just, you know, responding. Mm -hmm. One in particular that stood out, because it was like every instant, was um, we were mountain biking, and we did see a couple of friends that were biking, and then later on they texted me, we were like, saw you mountain biking with the wonderful babe. Who is that? Please do tell. <laughs> and on that same ride, we were descending down. And um, I do have to make a point that Stephanie is a better athlete than me. And I, I was- I that at all. I, <laughs> and so You're not I, telling me anything. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to say I was descending and I was leading for the first time ever in my life. So we need to point that out. <laughs> and I was waiting there uh, at the junction of like um, Redwood and, and Bobcat. And as I was waiting for her, uh, a, a trail running friend from the community, he's an older gentleman, he's running and, you know, and in true Jorge fashion, he's coming up the stairs and I just said, wow, you call that running? And he's just like, oh gosh, Jorge, what are you doing out here? And I'm just like, oh, I'm out here just riding bikes. And Stephanie comes and he's like, hi. <laughs> and he just looks at Stephanie and then he looks at me and he goes, who are you? 
<laughs> and True then, story. And Stephanie goes, uh, I'm Stephanie. And then he just proceeds by saying, do you know who you are with? And I was like, whoa, where's, where's Tom going with this, you know? And then he goes. He said this to you. He said, no, he said this to, to Stephanie. Stephanie. He looked, okay. at, like, he I looked think at her square I think so. in the eye. I think I know like, It was with. almost like he was like not bullying her, but he looked at her square in the eye and he goes, do you know who you're with? And Stephanie's like, uh, yeah, Jorge. <laughs> and he goes, no, this man has the biggest heart I know and is a very essential key member of our community. And then he paused and he goes, you know what? I'm sorry. The mere fact that he is with you and you are with him tells me a lot about you. It's a pleasure to meet you. And I was just like, whoa. whoa. Where'd he go from there? Where are you? Wow. Paid actor. I was like, paid actor. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and it was strange because that weekend she came here, we went to like Buku and like, you know, the server there was like, hey, Jorge, and just totally like, hi, who are you? How's it going? It, it, man, you're with Jorge. This is great. And it was amazing. And, you know, going forward, when we were um, coming back from Vail to Bend, I essentially just said, hey, let's, let me help you here at home. I'll fly back. But before we fly back, why don't you give me a duffel bag? Let's put some clothes in there so that when you fly, all you're flying with is Myself. Your phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So when she came to Mill Valley, there she was, like, you know, at the place that I was renting at the time. And uh, yeah, like, I'm going to care and take care of you here. Before we follow this storyline any further, let's hit pause. And to the degree that you're comfortable, Stephanie, tell me where you were just in your life at that point. Like, when you wrote that blog post and what you were working through when you and Jorge first connected. Yeah, I was in a relationship that was just not going well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it had been a struggle for a few years, but 2019 was when it particularly just hit rock bottom. And I spent most of that year just trying to figure out how I was going to move forward. And um, that summer I was in Chamonix, which is like the thing I like to do in the summers, go to Chamonix and be with my friends and just worked through a lot of things, gathered up a lot of courage. And in the fall, it was like early fall when I came back from Chamonix, just kind of decided to move on with my life. And um, even though I I knew that was going to be the right thing, it was a big change and really scary and really hard. And Mm -hmm. my heart was broken. And so when, and then I had surgery. (laughs) So all the things all at once. And then when, we started talking, it was just like, we were super honest. I mean, I wasn't going to yeah. mess around of like, you know, I, this is me and this is what I went through. And so we were able to just connect really quickly. And I felt like we, we helped each other heal in ways. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, from the outside, we just like moved really fast, but we, did, we had known each other for a long time and mm-hmm. been friends for a long time and just reconnecting and realizing like, wow, we've got a lot in common and I really like you and I appreciate who you are and how you're able to listen to me and help me through this. And so it was like, in ways I, I was healing, but I was also like excited about like this new chapter with this new person. And 
this new place. And it, it just kind of all fell into place. And I'm not sure if it was just good timing or we just were a really good match, but it, it was pretty seamless. Before yeah. you guys started talking and your relationship started progressing and you were thinking about what's next for you, did you have thoughts of leaving Bend where you lived at the time? Were you going to try to make it work there? I'd love to just kind of get into your headspace during that period. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, Bend had been home for over 10 years, but it's a small town. And so I, I had been having feelings about wanting to move out of Bend for a little while, but I wasn't sure where. I played around with the idea of Chamonix, but <laughs> that was pretty tough. And mostly because I have a dog and I didn't know how I could bring him over there. Um, I'd always loved the Bay Area, but I didn't know if that's like where I wanted to go. I thought about Colorado. And I think I was just going to stay in Bend until I had a move that made sense. And this made sense. And I, I did want to get out of Bend just to really let myself heal and like grow and not have like all of those familiarities of, you know, the past 10 years. So this isn't really where I saw myself, um, but it, it was somewhere that I have spent time and I really liked. Your turn. <laughs> what were you working through at the time when you reached out to Stephanie and saw her blog posts and just started talking about your respective situations? Yeah, <clears throat> I would say I was in a, at the time, in a, in a, I guess, confident, emotional, intelligent, evolved space where, you know, my, my previous relationship where I do have a son with, um, it was, uh, how do I describe it? A difficult reality. It was a difficult um, situation. Mm -hmm. And so I took the time to really look in the mirror, sort of meditate, as well as just see who and what I wanted to be in my own sphere of my community, which, as you know, I'm very transparent and very much a part of this community. So it's like, where do I fall and who do I truly want to represent knowing that I have to evolve out of this previous situation. And so, you know, I was in a space where I was very confident in feeling like I'm going to be a single parent father and I'm comfortable with that. And I'm okay with that because, you know, as I've evolved and telling people, I grew up without a father. So being one is the world to me. Mm -hmm. So I got comfortable with that um, idea. And I would say I got comfortable with that confidence of being that I'm going to face every day with, I'm going to be a great father and I'm going to be a good person and a contributor to our local community despite that previous situation, you know? Were you pretty open-minded to whatever the next steps would be for you beyond just being a great dad to Joaquin? Um, do you mean by that, like open to any relationship? Relationship, professional transitions, athletically, what you still wanted to achieve? Because, I mean, you're, I think, what, 43, 44 
now? Are you, are you getting there? 43, yeah. So, but I mean, so I know just from knowing you as well as I do, like just a couple years prior, I mean, you were trying to qualify for the Olympics for El Salvador. Yeah. Um, you were running at a, you know, at a very high level and experiencing, you know, some of your best success in the sport already. And I know from our conversations, one national title in cross country wanted to keep that momentum going on, on some level. So I'm just curious, like, in terms of, you know, aside from being a, a great dad, which is your primary goal, like, were you open to other transitions in different areas of your life? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I'd say that it, at that time, sort of the ending of 2019 was really starting to feel confident about my emotional stability and sort of eliminating some of the... Uh, dare I say, toxicities in my life so that I could then like, hey, like, uh, despite that I'm 43 years young, I still feel that I can achieve a lot of great things from a running perspective um, and still very hungry for those things, but also was very open-minded to changing things professionally as well. But I think what it took was my getting in that position mentally confident and stable and having the emotional intelligence to have that self-confidence. And then the other thing too is the, the openness and willingness to lean on my community. Um, they have been there for me and I've been there for them. And being able to have that trust and that confidence is what's given me that self-confidence to be like, yeah, like I can pursue things. People are going to help me. People were there to be, Jorge, like you need to go do your run. Like leave Joaquin with us. You can go do your workout. And just knowing like, wow, people are like willing to support. And so, yeah, I still want to pursue things. And uh, yeah, I honestly, talking on the running perspective, I'm 43, but I still feel very strong and still very capable. And I think my absence over the course of the last two years or so in the ultra running side of things has been a really good blessing in disguise where I've been able to focus just on a lot of unknown marathon speed that now I bring that to the table and it makes me hungrier and excited and just sort of, uh, yeah, that much more curious. Well, you have a coming out party soon <laughs> on the trails, which we'll talk about later in this conversation. But back to the two of you, like as you started talking, you mentioned how when Stephanie came here to visit you, like that incident on the trails where the older gentleman like yeah. not noticed her and was like, oh, well, clearly the two of you are together. And if yeah. she's with you, then, you know, she, she must be a great person. Other people in the community here started noticing Stephanie was spending more time in the Bay Area. I mean, she's very recognizable as a <laughs> yeah. top level ultra runner, Western States champion. Were you guys intentionally trying to keep things, I don't want to say under wraps, but just sort of on the DL for a while? A little bit. Um, I don't think we were trying to hide it, or at least I wasn't, but I mm -hmm. wasn't like, hey guys, I'm here, I'm dating Jorge, and it's great. Yeah. Um, just because I had recently gotten out of a relationship, and I was still healing, and I didn't necessarily want to promote that to the entire world, because everyone has their opinions, and they can make them known on social media, especially. So yeah, we, we kept it pretty casual. I told a few close friends, but um, I think it was just hard for people not to find out. Yeah. Especially I, around I, here. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think we, 
exactly to that point is like we we were we weren't hiding it, but we weren't necessarily being like shouting it out. Broadcasting. A it, lot right. of it had to do with yeah, exactly. Like I respected I respect Stephanie as an athlete. I respect Stephanie as a person. Um, and so knowing that she just has a broader, you know, a lot of people know her. It's just like, hey, let's just, you know, be protective. And and one of the things I want to say is, despite that most people know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you guys are both runners. It, it honestly, like three months of us hanging out and chatting and being together, where we finally were talking about running and we were like, wait a second, we're having a conversation about running for the first time. And it was like, three months into our relationship. I think that's a very healthy sign. It, it is. And it was actually important to me. I didn't want a relationship built on running or on physical activity or having to be outdoors or exercise because I just think like in the past, that was what I, that was the relationship that, that was what my relationship was built on and it didn't sustain. And so I wanted someone who really liked me for me and I liked them for who they were. So it's pretty cool to, to build that relationship and then be like, oh, also we're runners and we like to run and we run at a high level. And that was pretty cool to, to not have that be the focus. Yeah, I think that was something that even for both of us, we stepped back and we're like, wow, that's impressionable. Like literally we're talking about running for the first time and it is like a big part of what we do and what we enjoy doing, but it's not at all a primary variable of our coexistence. Do you, either of you, remember what that first conversation about running was about specifically? Uh, I don't know. I think it probably had to do with the Cougar, um, Western <laughs> States, because Jorge, it, it, we didn't know at the time, but was he was going to run Western States last year before it was right. canceled. And... Um, I have a cougar, obviously, from winning Western States. You had a little experience of that, right? Yeah, you get get a bronze cougar. So I think we started talking about it, and like he was, you know, saying how cool it would be to maybe have two cougars someday or something (laughs) like that. Um, But I think it it came, the conversation was about Western States. Yeah, uh, it was. And then we just obviously talked a little more about those similarities where, like, you know, like, oh, like, you know, it's interesting. We're like, wow, we both won our first 100 miler. And then, yeah, 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 no, I was just thinking, um, and thinking about the, the only race we've done together (laughs) was actually Western States. And it was my, my first, my first hundred, my first Western States. And I, I passed Jorge, um, (laughs) going up to highway 49. Yeah. Um, he was walking, he was not in a real great place. Was this the year that you won? It was. Oh, that was a bad year for you. Jorge. Oh yeah. yeah. That was a great year. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, but, ret- in, retrospect, in retrospect, maybe at the time, not so much. <laughs> but honestly, he's just like suffering and I can see him suffering. I think he was just like bent over on the trail. But when I went by, he just was like so happy and cheered for me. And um, that was really memorable actually. Cause I, that's cool. Yeah. It was getting close to the finish and saw a friend. <laughs> yeah, actually, we, we've talked about this and I've talked about this outside of Stephanie. And it was a really remarkable moment for me because we were about to cross Highway 49. And yeah, I was in a pretty dark place, you know, like the last seven miles took me three and a half hours, but I got it done. But 
Stephanie was coming. I didn't know because it was dark and yeah. it was headlamps. But when as she was coming, I'm like, oh, it's Stephanie. This is the first female. I was so stoked and was like genuinely my heart and my emotions were just pouring out of joy knowing like Stephanie's going to win Western States. I was like so stoked even though physically at the time I was in like that place. <laughs> that place, you know? But I was genuinely like my heart just like boom burst into just like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. If anyone deserves it, if anyone has worked hard, it's Stephanie. And I was like genuinely overjoyed. And it was like a really remarkable moment for me, you know? And to just think back like, man, that was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing you as I do, that doesn't surprise me <laughs> at all. But I'm pretty impressed that you're winning the race at that point. You've got less than 10 miles to go. I mean, you've been out all day. You're obviously like deep in the hurt box and tired, know you're in the lead, but still have enough awareness to remember seeing him. I mean, granted you knew him, but just in a bad place on the side of the trail, but super enthusiastic for you as you, as you're going by. Yeah. I think he tried to jump on the train and like ride (laughs) my momentum, but it didn't last very long. I was like, you know what, let me use this Stephanie momentum to go. And I honestly went to I went for it and it lasted maybe a legitimate one and a half stride. And it was like, nope, can't keep up. Not today. (laughs) Going to keep walking this 20 minute mile pace. (laughs) Stephanie, as it became clear to you once you and Jorge began conversing and that this was going to move beyond a friendship and you're going to spend some time together and you're going to get to know one another better, knowing what you knew about him, I mean, he he's a single dad, you know, he's just coming out of his own difficult period in a relationship. On that level, was there any hesitation on your part going into a, a new relationship where it's like, he's got a young son uh, and that young son is connected to to someone else or I'm going to be entering this situation and it could be pretty tricky to navigate. Yeah, I I took a big leap of faith. I was like all in. Like I'm I'm just going to, you know, like trust trust that we have a strong relationship. We have a great foundation and I know there's these external variables, but we're going to work through them. And it's been an adjustment for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um I remember when you told Joaquin that you had a girlfriend and then we met for the first time. Um, we shared some, I think, sushi together, his favorite food. And um, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a lot for me to learn because he was five and a half when we met. And I don't know anything about being a parent to a five mm-hmm. and a half year old. And he has been really just a great kid, like very welcoming to me and teaching me <laughs> how to interact with a, a boy, um, a first grader. And yeah, we're just we're figuring each other out, and I'm I'm so thankful um, to be in his life, and he's gone through some changes too in the last year, and um, I think we're all better off for having each other in in our lives. But it's it's been an adjustment for sure. Well, and a little like on the job training because now the two of you have a son of your own. At some point, yeah. he's going to be five and a half, and you're like, you know what? I've been here before. Got uh, this. <laughs> Yeah, that was, um, I mean, we're so fortunate. And 
I was on the fence, honestly, if I wanted kids Mm -hmm. um, in my life and just kind of like getting to that age, um, I was 36 where I'm like, uh, you know, I have time, but I don't have a lot of time. And I wasn't necessarily like thinking it was going to happen anytime soon, but I got pregnant pretty quickly um, in our relationship. And it's just been the greatest thing ever. Like little Julian is like, he makes me so happy in ways that I never, I never imagined. Yeah. And even better for him to have a big brother who just adores him. And <laughs> Julian will giggle at his big brother and watch him. And we're just kind of all super thankful. Um, although I'm outnumbered here by jam. <laughs> jams. <toys>. Jams. <laughs> jams time, times three. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, when... You found out that you were pregnant and you were going to have a child together. I mean, you just mentioned how you, know, you weren't sure if you wanted to have kids. What was that moment like when you found out that you indeed were pregnant and that this was going to happen? Did that sort of, did that sort of accelerate things from the standpoint of where you were going to be and you know, the pieces that you wanted to put in place for the months and years ahead? Yeah, it was like, oh, wow. Um, it was Earth Day. And I guess Jorge mm-hmm. was... How appropriate. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was so appropriate. <laughs> um, I actually texted Jorge to tell him I was pregnant because he was at the grocery store. Um, <laughs> which, uh, hindsight, like, maybe that wasn't the best way to do it. But I was like, oh my gosh. Um, okay. And then, like, just taking a few steps backwards, like, oh, wow, we're in a pandemic. And I haven't n- necessarily been, you know, super healthy in <laughs> the last month of, like, um, maybe not eating as well and maybe drinking a little bit more, but I was like, wow, okay, time to like restart. And like, yeah, it, it did change a lot of things in terms of like putting down some roots here. So that, that, if I can interrupt, Mm -hmm. were you already living here at the time, essentially, were you kind of in between Bend and the Bay? Help me understand that a little better. I was mostly here, but I had all of my stuff besides my dog in Bend. <laughs> so I was um, staying with Jorge at his apartment in Mill Valley. So I wasn't, I was kind of in transition, not really sure where we were going to end up. So mm-hmm. I'd been thinking about buying a house and I, the market here was ridiculous. And I was like, there's no way. But then I found out I was pregnant. I was like, all right, we need to figure something out. We need to find a way. Because yeah. we all can't live in this little apartment right now. So that just accelerated everything. And we worked with a great realtor and we're fortunate to find this place in San Rafael that is just perfect for us. It's close to the trails. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a big kitchen, which is you know one of our favorite places to, to spend time. And yeah. um, we, we made it happen really fast. And then actually Jorge took one for the team and flew up to Bend, got all my stuff and drove it down in a U-Haul in one day, yeah. which was kind of incredible. But yeah, the finding out I was pregnant really did just solidify like the wanting to stay here and like start a family and just put down some roots. Cause yeah. And I think what helped us despite that things, like you said, like uh, evolved quicker. We weren't afraid though. I, I, yeah. I because the groundation of our relationship was based on authenticity, openness, and like the willingness to be, you know, well positioned in, in situations that already gave us like, if, if you even want to call it adversity, right? Like here I am like, 
oh, our second date is four days at the hospital in Vail. <laughs> awesome. Like, here I am. And I'm like, you're now going to see who I am. You're not, you know, and knowing that those were the foundational experiences that founded our relationship. It- yeah, I think that does a lot for a relationship, though, when you're faced with something unexpected like that, that is really serious because you learn very quickly, is this person going to be here for me or not? And then you've got to decide very quickly, do I want to be here for this person or not? And it really resonates with me because Christine and I, when we started dating, it was early 2000. 11. I mean, it was like March 1st, I guess, was our official first date. And in May, she found out that she had to have half of her thyroid removed. And it was pretty traumatic thing because it's going to involve, you know, a surgery. And I mean, different than your situation, but not not that much so where it was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to be here to support her through this like mm-hmm. scary, unexpected ordeal. And I mean, I really look back at that. I'm like, that solidified a lot of things for us. And I mean, it wasn't six months later that we were engaged to get married and here we are like 10 years later yeah. still together. But I, I think back to, you know, that moment. I mean, we connected on, on other levels similar to the way that you guys did before that, but like this unexpected event, like really accelerated things and it really strengthened those bonds. And here we are, you know, 10 years later, but it was, it was like that, you know, that event, like I look back, I'm like, that did a lot for us as early on as it was in our relationship, but it really like laid that, to use your word, groundation, which I don't even know if that's a word, but I love it. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to go with it. Like grounded foundation, groundation, we'll go with it. But it laid that groundation for us that we've continued to build upon. And your story sounds very similar. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is really unique for me. I typically don't have two guests on at once, and I feel like I could go very long with with just each of you on an individual level about your respective stories. And I mean, I think we'll we'll kind of come back to center here toward the end. But I love to just dig into each of your individual stories um, before you got to meet one another because I know you quite well, and we've talked about this in the past. And finally, here we are, like. I mean, I've you only had the Stephanie. podcast three years, but I've been wanting to interview you for you like six Stephanie or seven. I do, I do owe Stephanie a booking fee for finally getting you in front of the mic, but I know you have a really fascinating story and I want to dig into that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know as much about yours other than like what you've done in running and, mm-hmm. and where you're from. And I'm going to take this opportunity because I'm in the host chair to ask you questions that I've wanted to, to ask each of you for a while. And I'll start with you, Jorge. You mentioned just a little while ago how you grew up without a dad. Um, You were raised by your mom. You're from El Salvador. I mean, take me back to your childhood. Like, where did you, where did you grow up? What are some of your earliest memories? Yeah. um, It's a story that is, um, I think I've shared with people, but maybe not everyone has heard, but yeah, I was, I was born in El Salvador in 1977 uh, during sort of the beginning or of the civil war. And, uh, you know, my mother decided to, uh, when I was about a year and a half, two years old, uh, to leave El Salvador. It is um, an impressionable and impactful decision I think a woman can take and something that is the core of what is me 
as well as what has evolved for me to have this tremendous respect to my mother, as well as this tremendous like respect to women, because the courage and the strength and even the mental capacity to do what she did is just beyond me where like, I want to objectively write a book about her because it's just impressionable. I mean, she left El Salvador with a baby in her arms, being me, um, and not just left El Salvador, but she left with no direction of where the United States was outside of knowing it's north. Mm-hmm. Um, that journey took her about 15 months because she had to work to make money to keep traveling and traveling. Um, and in that decision, she also left back my two brothers, which I, I don't know how a parent can do that. That's really complex, you know? Um, but she did for the reasons that she wanted to create opportunity and the courage. And so she came to the States and someone told her, hey, like if you go to, uh, she immediately came, a lot of details I'm leaving out, but she basically came to Los Angeles where, you know, the coyote brought her and uh, we arrived here illegally. And then she's like, where do I find work? And obviously there's a lot in Los Angeles, but someone said to her like, you know, there's a lot of farm work in the San Joaquin Valley. She's like, great. So she went to the San Joaquin Valley. We landed in Fresno County. And uh, I grew up in Fresno County. I literally was raised in a ranch. I lived in a, there was only five homes out in the middle of agriculture where every season I would see turn of tomatoes, onions, garlic. And then behind us was a big cotton gin and bunch of big open space. And that's where I grew up and feel very fortunate that um, in those other five homes, there happened to be children in those houses of different ages. So I did have like, call it neighborhood friends. Um, were they other El Salvadorians or no, what was the breakdown of, of people who were there? Yeah, great question. And uh, I found out that I was very uh, isolated and different, um, but yet the same. Um, I remember this very vividly. I went to kindergarten and I grew up only speaking Spanish. Um, and Spanish is my first language and still feel the most comfortable speaking and thinking that way. But I went to kindergarten and uh, it was all, all of my classmates were all like, Horacio, Humberto, Marcos, Jose, Guadalupe, you know, all these farm worker kids. And then there was one kid very light-complected, very blue eyes, and very blonde, and his name was Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I remember vividly on the first day of school, our teacher said, "Uh, Michael, you're going to have to go to a different school because we were all farm worker kids. We were all learning English. Michael already spoke English, so Michael had to get essentially, you know, uh, transferred to a different school. So, you know, I grew up actually in, in some ways very isolated because I grew up only amongst other Latinos, dominantly Mexicans, I should say. And I was the only Salvadorian. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't know any other Salvadorians. So, But you all spoke the same language. We all spoke and, the same language, yeah. And, and could relate because you're all the children of farm workers. Exactly. I mean, you know, at the time... I think at best my mom was maybe making $4.25 an hour, working 10 plus hours. And, you know, I grew up, had to grow up real quick. I grew up, uh, you know, in the mornings I'd wake up and by myself because my mom was gone early in the mornings to go do farm labor. So I'd have to wake up and get myself dressed and pour my own bowl of cereal and 
brush my teeth and walk over to the school bus stop and catch the bus. When you're a kid at that age, you only know what you know. I mean, so you knew your, your mom was at work all day. You had to take care of yourself. When did you first become aware of the first part of your journey to the Fresno area and that you came from El Salvador and you had brothers back there? I'd love to just understand to the degree that you're comfortable telling the story, like when that awareness came to you. Yeah, I, I, my mother never like isolated me out of that truth or reality. She always told me like, hey, this is who we are. This is where we come from. You have two brothers and, you know, their names are Archimedes and Juan. And so I would always like just have these like imaginations of what they look like, who they are. And uh, just also like, you know me, Mario, I'm emotional, so I'm not afraid of it. Um, it was... Just the thought of like, wow, like this woman made this decision. And, and as a, I, I'm able to process it better now, but as a child, I didn't understand it. Um, but I also knew that I loved that my mother, you know, she, she was like, no, we're from El Salvador. Like everyone around us is from Mexico, but we're from El Salvador. And um, as I, she, she never neglected me of knowing where we were from and a lot of our cuisine was also a little bit different, you know? And so um, she never denied the truth to me. And it was something that was always very impactful. Um, she also, though, is funny because once I learned English, and not to digress from your initial question, but like <laughs> my mom didn't speak any English. So I immediately became uh, her translator. Mm -hmm. I immediately actually became a life resource. So... Everywhere my mom went, I had to come and I had to translate. And sometimes it wasn't like the easiest translations, but I needed to like basically be, you know, I, I was working per se, you know. But I would say, um, and she also told me, she taught me that the moment I walked in through our front door, she would say, English stays out there. And in this house, we only speak Spanish. And so um, that was really grounding as well because she always wanted to make sure that I didn't lose my language, I didn't lose my culture, and that was, I thought, really cool, you know. Did you guys ever butt heads at all when you oh. were coming up? <laughs> my mother and I? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, who doesn't with their mother, right. you know? Um, we definitely... But over what? Like, what would, you, what would be a typical, like, source of conflict between the two of you when you were, when you were a young kid? I think I was, as she would describe, a pretty uh, energetic kid, but very obedient for the most part. But uh, I think where we butted heads was, and this is my interpretation, her fears, because here we were in a total new country, total new culture, total new language. All she wanted was hope and opportunity for her child. And so she had a really short leash. You know, she was like, I got to keep this kid protected. Straight and, like, and narrow. Straight and narrow and like make sure he's, he's good and it's my like duty. So there were times where she was just like super, um, you know, wasn't as flexible as maybe other parents were, but it was for good reason. You know, like I look back at some of my childhood friends and I see where the little I know of some of them and where they are in life and where I am in life. 
and it's significantly different, and I'm grateful. Well, she seemed to have recognized and worked hard to create this opportunity for the two of you and just really didn't want you to squander it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think we just, we just bubbled heads because I suddenly, you know, I, as a child was living a bilingual, bicultural world, right? Where I was having to assimilate and adapt to the changes that were happening where I'm learning a new language. And in my sphere of, of people, which is all of my schoolmates, we're all learning English together and we're all learning these things that, you know, we see on TV and we're experiencing together and how different it is in this English language and how different that is in terms of our Spanish speaking world and our heritage, if you will, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just, it's a, it's a complexity that wasn't a complexity at the time because you're just evolving with the everyday occurrence, you know? Did you guys move around at all or did you stay put in the same general area for most of your upbringing? Uh, we stayed put uh, in, in, we specifically lived out in Harris Ranch in Fresno County. Um, and you just reminded me of your initial question of what was one of your youngest memories. And I, one of my youngest memories is actually when we first arrived, um, you know, my mom didn't know of a daycare or like any things like that. So one of my sort of youngest vivid memories is um, my mom uh, worked in uh, the grapes and specifically uh, raisins. And so she knew that I was an energetic kid. So um, how it works is you trim the grapes and then you lay them down on this like sort of like cardboard paper for them to then dry and become raisins. And so what she did is like, well, I got to make this, keep, keep him busy. She so. put you to work. <laughs> she put me to work. She'd bring <laughs> me to work. And, uh, you know, this is back in the early 80s, you know. And so... Um, my duty was to lay out the cardboard paper throughout the whole rows as far as I could and then come back and then get scissors and help her trim the grapes and lay them down. And then uh, as that evolved, then we worked in the, uh, in the uh, um, citrus and in oranges. And, you know, you're paid by um, how much buckets you fill. And so she would tell me like, hmm, how, much, how fast can you fill up a bucket and... So she knew I was an energetic kid, so I'd go and like pack a bucket full of oranges and give it to her. And then she would take that and go fill it up into the big crate where they would then hole punch your card and you'd get paid by how many buckets you'd fill. And so she basically had an assistant. Aside from <laughs> you being an energetic kid and wanting to fill up these buckets with citrus fruit, how much of it was taking on the challenge of your mom being like, how many of these can you fill in, I don't know, an hour or whatever it was? Yeah, I think, you know, thinking back on it now, uh, I think I thrived on challenge. Yeah. And I think looking through my life as it is even today, I like challenges. And uh, it's something that's just in me. You know, I, I thrive on challenges. I like nothing in my life has been easy. So I don't know any different. That's why I asked, because knowing you as as I do, whenever you're faced with some kind of adversity, no matter where it comes from, as hard as it might be for you to work through, you accept it and find a way to do that. And that's why I asked that question, because I feel like it had to start at, at that point of your life. Like that's just, I mean, some people can learn those types of skills like as you get older, but 
others, it's just ingrained in them. And it sounds like that ability to confront a challenge, accept it, and then find a way to work through it was just instilled in you from what the age of five or so. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't think my by no means is my story like isolated. I think that's just the immigrant way. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 deal with adversity. You don't just face it. You deal with it. You work with it, and you move on to progress and evolve. And uh, you know. I've been saying even since the pandemic, all of this adversity that we've been dealing with, you know, adversity is nothing new to me. Um, I, I'm officially claiming that I'm the dean of adversity university. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you know, as a as an immigrant, as a as a brown skinned man, as as someone who's like Spanish is my first language, like having to always assimilate, having to always adapt having always to comfort others with the comfort of who you are, it, that's just, those are just daily adversity situations and circumstances that I've existed with. And so adversity is nothing new. And I've dealt with so many other adversities from emotional to life to, you know, just like everybody else. We all have our stuff and it's how you face and deal with those things that build up your character, you know? It's no different than like, yeah, like, sure, maybe I've, placed well in a certain race and honestly I hate to say this but I, I can care less how well I do or not but right. that moment where we described earlier where it took me three and a half hours to walk seven miles while I watched Stephanie win Western States like that to me was very character building and really really important part of who and what I am today and how I can utilize that as a skill set and a tool set to face life yeah well, I appreciate you sharing that. I think there's a lot to be said for the immigrant story. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Like, I was born here in the U.S. My dad's from Italy, came here when he was 12 years old, not speaking a word of English, played a very similar role to what you did for your mom, where he would go around with my nana and basically be her interpreter once he learned English. And that was actually one of the ways that he, he did learn English. And they ran into all these roadblocks as well. And, like, if you talk to my dad, that's just he's like, well, that was just life. He's like, he's like, I ran into roadblocks everywhere that I went. And he was able, fortunately, to instill that, you know, in me and and my siblings. And I feel really grateful for it. And that's why I I feel, you know, grateful for you to, to share your story and other folks that I've had on here too, who come from immigrant backgrounds, because that's one of the the common denominators. I think that's one of the through lines, like facing, you know, facing adversity, accepting it as a, a, a part of life and learning how to work through it regardless of the form that it takes. Yeah, I I think it's a wonderful necessity. You know, it's something that, you know, books, education or money uh, can't provide you with. And it's an essential, uh, necessary experience in life for you to really grow and evolve as a human and to be able to have perspective to not only be the better version of yourself, but be a contributing member to your community. I think that's very, very valuable. How else did you burn off energy as a kid, aside from stomping on grapes and filling up citrus buckets? Were you involved in sports as a kid? Yeah, so that actually uh, started in uh, third grade. I was one of few third graders that for some reason was also uh, combined with the fourth graders. Um, I was always a good kid in school. Um, but, uh, Mr. Hernandez, um, made an announcement and said, there's track tryouts today. 
And I was like, oh, what's track? And he's like, oh, it's running. And you run around the track. And so I was like, okay. He's like, but for some reason, it was only for like fourth graders and above or fifth graders. Um, and this was a really, really bold move in my life. Um, my mom worked in the farm field and every day I had chores to come home to. It wasn't like I came home. I came home to an empty house and I had chores to do. And it wasn't like, no, you have to get these things done. Well, I just knew, well, my mom doesn't come home until a certain time. So I decided to be a rebel. (laughs) I stayed after school and didn't get on my bus and I walked to the track. And Mr. Nand is like, what what are you doing here? I was like, well, you said there was track tryouts and I wanted to try out. And he's like, well, this is only for like the fourth graders and above. And I was like, he's like, well, you're already here, so you can run with them. And so we were doing a 400. And this track is like, I love this track to this day. It's a big dirt track. And on the um, uh, west side of the track, that, that back stretch, there is a fence line. And on the other side of the fence line is a cow feed lot. So every time you ran around, you just saw the cows and it smelled like cows, you know? (laughs) Um, So he did a 400 and there was like third, fourth, and a few fifth graders in this sort of time trial of a 400. And it turns out I ended up beating some of the fourth and a couple of the fifth graders. And Mr. Hernandez just looked at me and he goes, you know what? I think you're going to be on our track team. (laughs) And so um, it was Westside Elementary. We were the Lions. And uh, yeah, my neighbors at the time, they were very helpful to us because they did speak English, even though they were like sort of second generation immigrants. And uh, they were like, hey, you know, she she was like the school lunch lady. Mm-hmm. And she says, hey, your, your boy's pretty good at running. And, and I just, it's, it's kind of comical thinking back. Like I just came home and told my mom, mom, I'm going to stay after school and run. I just need you to sign this paper right here in the line. Okay. And she just like trusted it and just signed the paper and I'd come back. Okay, I'm on the track team. And uh, yeah, that's how sort of it began. And then I certainly also then turned it into like, oh, we have a flag football team. I, I played flag football. I was on the basketball team. A um, couple of years in elementary, I was a dual athlete. I played shortstop for our baseball team and ran track at the same time. So yeah, uh, my beginnings of sports were at Westside Elementary. And you still had to come home and get your chores done. I still had to come home and get my chores done, yo. Um, Stephanie, we're going to move on to your story here in a second. Last question before we do, though. At that age, when you were in elementary school, did things begin to diversify in terms of the people that you grew up around, or was it all immigrant children such as yourself? Uh, Being in Fresno County, there was most certainly, the dominance was pretty Latino, but yeah, there was occasional when you'd go to invitationals um, where I would see like, you know, white kids or Asian kids or African-Americans. And then I was fortunate to um, evolve as a season evolved into then you started competing in AAU meets and doing like regional races and things like that. And you could certainly see the diversity uh, evolving and changing, which for me was pretty eye-opening, you know, because it it was just so strange because I didn't know any different than seeing kids who looked just like me. So it was through running and track and field that you really understood that there was 
much more to the world and that were people who were different than you and this sport was the unifying agent that brought you together yeah 100% and it it made me very curious and very hungry for that diversity and the that challenge to be dare i say competitive with those kids and with that community you know like i want to be like you guys even though i'm here <laughs> In what ways did you want to be like them? I think that I like the the grit and the like the willingness to push yourself through running. I, I just I kind of enjoyed sometimes getting my ass kicked because it was something like, okay, well, you two kids are faster than me. Can't wait to meet you next time because like I'm going to be faster than you next time. But knowing that and seeing how those kids like worked so hard to achieve what they did like it it was so impressionable to me it was so like it, it made me always think like where, where do they live where do they train who are their parents who you know i would just like my mind would just expand in ways of like thinking things that were like what, what are, why am i thinking of these variables but it, it, it well your own world was sm- so small at the time yeah yeah so small that i was just so curious and and in most, I, I have to say too, I was super beyond grateful that I think that, you know, those also the core values and morals and ethics that my mother instilled in me, they through, through time really showcased themselves because, you know, there was a time when people were like, man, this kid's pretty good. But I'm like, well, I can't go to regionals. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, my mom's not going to drive me. She can't. And we don't have the money. And I had people just going, no, like, I'll take you. You know, parents who were just very willing. And um, I found that so impressionable. Like, wow, someone's willing to, like, use their own money and, like, take me somewhere. So I took a lot of personal um, pride and respect in that, like, hey, I'm also representing them, you know. And so I feel like I inevitably became this... um, a part of a community. It's fascinating to hear you tell that story and I appreciate it. I know obviously it's very emotional for you to, to do so, but at the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about the community here that yeah. you're a part of now and what you were going through and just people coming out of the woodwork to say, Hey, we'll take Joaquin for a few hours so you can go do, you know, X, Y, yeah. And Z and and again, knowing you as I do, you've done the same for other people where you've offered that I don't even want to say like in in return. It's not like it it was an yeah. exchange or anything. It's just like you know, hey, you're a part of my community. I want to be able to do that for yeah. you. And I think why that's really fascinating for me is that that's the first time that I've I've been able to hear you describe that and see where the seeds were planted. And that's yeah. really and that's really cool. Well, and I get emotional. And why about community it. is so important to you? Very important. I mean, I also like not to digress, but like I get emotional about it because it's such a touching, uh, grounding time in my life where I think back and have such tremendous gratitude for that. You know, um, and it's it's impressive that people in those times were 
doing and willing to do that, you know, for a kid who maybe they didn't know super well, but would just see like, well, he's not <laughs> a harmful kid, you know, and uh, it's just fascinating. They wanted to give you an opportunity. Yeah. 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 Give me an opportunity. And I think that that's what was super fascinating. And I think that that also cultivated my um, personality, mm-hmm. you know, because I was also a sponge and take that in and, and give back, you know? Yeah. Well, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but those people giving you that opportunity, granted you were very young at the time, I mean, look where it's taken you now and the pers- not only the perspective that it's given you, but how you've been able to have a role in your community here in Marin, but also, you know, use your abilities and use your platform to inspire others, especially others who, like you, might come from an immigrant background or have darker skin or don't speak the English language quite as well. I mean, I saw you, like, firsthand at SFRC, um, talking to, like, the Mexican guys who who would come into the store because they knew someone in there spoke their language. Yeah. And they wanted to get out, you know, onto the trails, and you're able to be that person for them. And I'm thinking about, and again, sorry to go off on a tangent, but just the situation we're in in our world today and creating opportunities for underprivileged folks, for marginalized people who, yeah. you know, even here in Marin, who won't have the opportunity to take advantage of you know, maybe maybe it's going to a race like you did as a kid or even just getting out on the wonderful trails that yeah. we have here and experiencing nature, you know, in a way. And I'm like, man, if, if more of us can, you know, regardless of what our own background is, what color our skin is, what our interest is, just create those opportunities for people, um, not just here, but wherever people are listening to this, holy crap, we'd be much better off. Yeah, and I have to say this, Mario, not to digress, but it's, it's very important aspect and variable too is my mother was also very much a a big and major contributor to that because we grew up in a house where my mother was like if we have a roof and if we have food anybody has roof and I I grew up in a household where um, I had a lot of irregular people living with us and but what I mean by that is someone would come and they were following the lettuce season which is like for two to three months in the summer my mom would be like I would literally come home like in times in like junior high or high school, I'd come home and be like, oh, hi. Who, who are you? <laughs> hi, who are you laying down in our living room couch? And it's like, oh, hi, I'm Maria. And I'm like, oh, okay, hi, nice to meet you. And my mom's like, oh, this is Maria. I just met her today. She's from Guatemala and she needed a place to sleep and she's going to be with us for the next three months. And I'm like, okay. And then when I would privately go, to my mom, be like, mom, you just met Maria today? She's like, yeah, she needed a house and she needed food. So we're providing that to her. And this that, is what we do. This is what we do. And so like, it's, I grew up with that from, from even in the early days of Harris Ranch. I didn't know different. We took people in all the time. And so I grew up amongst like, hey, if I have food, you have food. Like, That's where it comes from. You do the same thing now. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I've known you, you've done the same thing. Whether it's someone passing through here because it's a, a race weekend or you know maybe their Airbnb got canceled and they need a place to stay. I mean, at the drop of a hat, you've invited them into your home and shared a meal. And yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's just wild for me to hear all these stories and be like, oh, that's where it came from. It's like I'm connecting dots, like as we're sitting here talking to you, and it it makes it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, it's it's what I've been raised in, and what's I guess cultivated what I you know the groundation of who (laughs) and what I am. You know, I think that's just my reggae fix term is what I've been. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, let's let's pop a pin in that right there. I want to talk to Stephanie for a bit because again, as I, I said a little while ago, like I've I've known Jorge for the past seven years. I don't know you well at all, but I know you come from very different backgrounds. I mean, he grew up in Fresno County, son of a farm worker on the fields living an immigrant upbringing. You grew up in Minnesota, pretty far away from just California in general. And everything I know about Minnesota is different from what I know about California, especially Central Valley where where Jorge grew up. And I think it's the most beautiful thing that the two of you have come together with just such very like different backgrounds. And you are going to raise a son together who has an amazing family history um, (laughs) and is going to have a a lot of awesome values from both of his parents. And much as I just kind of understood Jorge's earliest days and his upbringing as a kid, I'd, I'd love to learn more about your own upbringing in Minnesota and what that was like. Yeah, it's not nearly as interesting as Jorge's story, but uh, Minnesota was a fantastic place to grow up. I I love where I live right now. I, I don't think I'll ever move back full time, but as a kid, it was a great place to grow up. Lots of outdoors, good culture. And um, I grew up in a small town just north of the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. Minneapolis, St. Paul, and um, just had like a very traditional middle-class suburban <laughs> growing growing up. And um, it, it's been great just going back to our son, Julian, just to teach him his roots of, you know, his his two parents. And he, he was born a little bit early. He was um, supposed to be born in January, but he was born early December. And so for Christmas, we, we had a baby this year, which was kind of a surprise. But even though he was so young, he was two weeks old, I wanted to teach him about his roots. So we had tamales, we made homemade tamales on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, we made lefsa, which is a traditional Norwegian thin pancake that you kind of roll up with some butter and cinnamon sugar. So it, it's going to be really cool for us to teach Julian just the differences and where he comes from. Do both of your parents have Norwegian roots? Uh, Scandinavian. Scandinavian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where specifically? So Swedish and then um, Belgium, actually. A lot of my, my mom's family is uh, Flemish. Were they born here in the U.S. or did they immigrate over? They were born in the U.S. So yeah, I'm, I'm very far removed from that. But it was an important part of our growing up. What were some of the traditions that you remember growing up? So we did a lot of, like, I mean, there's a lot of snow mm-hmm. in Minnesota. And so just cross-country skiing was something, and that's a very, like, Nordic, um, <laughs> it's called yeah. Nordic skiing, but, like, Nordic background. And um, just some of the food that we ate is very traditional, just, like, Norwegian, Scandinavian, um, you know, like, the left side mentioned, and, you know, a lot of, like, fika was something that I learned, which is um, the greatest thing ever. It's It means, like, a coffee and a pastry in the afternoon. And um, oh, I can get behind that. Yeah, it, it's not a bad um, habit to pick up on. But, yeah, we we definitely, you know, knew about our family history. And I wouldn't say it, it was, you know, we were born in the U.S. and my grandparents were born in the U.S., so it wasn't we weren't as passionate maybe about it mm-hmm. as Jorge, but um, very proud of who we who we are. Um, and a lot of people in Minnesota are very similar. Like right. most people are Scandinavian. What are some of those Nordic values that you grew up with? So 
everyone in Minnesota is very friendly. And that was an adjustment when I moved out West. <laughs> I would be on the trails and I would pass them and I would say, hi, and they wouldn't say hi back. And I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Like I would take it offensively. So like the Minnesota nice, it's it's not just a rumor. It's actually a it's thing. It's a thing. Yeah. 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 I and, can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, everyone's super nice and chatty and um, just very like community oriented and in sort of a different way and I'm not sure how to verbalize it, but it's not like we're all very similar. And so it's just, you have like this, this connection to, to your neighbors and it feels like, you know, you're all, you're all like a similar, like you, you do the things, you know, you, you go to church on Sunday, um, you have hot dish for dinner. Um, you go do your, your outside time, you go cross country skiing, you go hiking. It's, it's a really a healthy lifestyle, um, but everyone kind of follows this pattern and you don't really deviate from the pattern. And most people I grew up with and most of my family didn't leave Minnesota because it's like where you, where you stay and like, you know, you put down your, your roots there and you buy a house and you have kids and then you raise them in those traditional values. And I was kind of like the kid who just wanted to, not like the black sheep, but I, I love adventure and I love challenging myself. And so I, I moved away and it was kind of like, what? Stephanie doesn't live in Minnesota. Um, but it's been really cool for me to, to, to get out of Minnesota and then actually look back more fondly on it. Like, wow, that was a really cool place to grow up. Mm -hmm. What sports aside from Nordic skiing, did you grow up with? Obviously you're a runner now. That's what you're most well known for, but were you involved in other sports as well? Yeah, I did everything. I was a very- Ball sports too? Yeah, ball sports. Actually, my primary sport in high school was softball. And when I tell people that, they're like, what? <laughs> um, I was a pitcher and I worked really hard at it. My dad my dad and I, we bonded over sports. He, he, I have a brother, so he eventually had a little boy, but I was his first, um, first kid and I was a girl. And I, I think he was really excited to do sports with a kid. And so we did- all of the things together. Like I was involved in basketball, volleyball, softball, gymnastics. Um, I hated running growing up, honestly. I was good at it, but it wasn't my favorite. Um, I did ballet. I did ice skating, cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, like really everything. I just dabbled. And um, my goal in high school was to become a good enough softball player that I could get a scholarship and play softball at Arizona State. <laughs> and this goal didn't change until I was a junior in high school. And I realized that I kind of, although I was good at softball, I kind of blended in. Hmm. Whereas running, I didn't really try and I, I excelled at it to my maybe... Um, I, I didn't. I didn't love that. I was good at the endurance sports, but I started to embrace it. And cross country skiing was something that I loved um, more so than running. So I didn't start that competitively until I was a sophomore in high school. But just really like went through the ranks pretty quickly. I won our state meet by the time I was a senior and got a scholarship to go to Northern Michigan University, mm -hmm. which is in the UP of Michigan. A lot of people are like, "What's that? It's, what is that? Yeah, it's like this little." Um, like I want to say island, but just like section of Michigan that's above Wisconsin. So it's like, 
I can't really um, show people this, but they they do like the little hand thing where it's like the lower Michigan is um, kind of down where people know Michigan is, and the upper part is up above Lake Superior, up above Wisconsin, and it's like this outdoor paradise. Not many people, and it's right on Lake Superior, so it it stays like 28 degrees in the winter and snows every day. So skiers paradise. Interesting. <laughs> when did you first start to show some promise in running? I think in elementary school, we had to do the presidential physical fitness challenge. Mm-hmm. And um, I always beat all the boys. And it was kind of, I, I remember I broke a seven minute mile, I think in third grade, it was 6.59, like literally like <laughs> one second. But I ran in the sixes and that was like super impressive. Um, so I think I knew that I was good at running. And then actually in seventh grade, so in Minnesota, you start junior high at seventh grade, seven through nine, and then mm-hmm. high school is, is 10 through 12. So it's a little different. But in seventh grade, my parents wanted me to run cross country and I just did not want to. So they were like, come on, just go to the meeting, go to the first day of practice. And my mom drove me there and she loves this story. I showed up in flip flops so that I didn't have to run practice. And she was so mad at me. She was like, you didn't bring your running shoes. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, but I, I, I did cross country that year and I actually won a meet and like we ran like a mile and a half. It was pretty short. And I remember my coach, um, like during practice, there was another girl and she was not very fast and I would walk with her during our training runs. And um, he he pulled me aside one day and he's like, you know, you you actually have some talent. If you actually tried, you'd probably be pretty good. And I heard him, but I didn't listen to him Um the next year I, I skipped cross country season and did volleyball instead. And was kind of just like, I think I made the B team. We had like ABC teams and I was on the B team and the, just had fun with my friends. But then in ninth grade started cross country again. And actually I wasn't maybe the most popular kid in junior high or high school. And sports was really where I found like my Mm self-esteem and cross country was really rewarding for me in that I had a group of friends and I did pretty well. So people looked up to me and even though I didn't love it, I I think at that time that was like starting to plant the seed of like, this is something you're good at and that really boosts your self-esteem and um, you can connect and you feel good doing. So it, it was at a young age, but I didn't actually start loving running until later in life. I feel like running's a hard thing to love as a young kid. And I'm curious in your specific situation, what was it about running that you didn't really enjoy? I think I wanted to be a popular kid and the popular kids (laughs) didn't run. They did not run. They did volleyball. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it was me just trying to fit in honestly. And I remember a lot of kids said like, why would you run? Running is punishment. Like, why would you pay to run? You could just go run on your own. And I didn't have a good answer to that. I just got kind of embarrassed and I I maybe wasn't the most confident kid. And Mm so I wanted to be around those those kids that were popular and they didn't run. (laughs) Were you a pretty competitive kid as it relates to athletics and the different sports that you did? Yeah. And it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot, especially in my adult life when I've been injured and just my drive to, you know, continue moving my body. And 
I think I'm competitive in a way that I just love how it feels to push myself. And I can go back to situations where I was quite young and just seeing like things that I did, like I would, I would go just run around the block as fast as I could because I love how it made me feel. And it wasn't because I was trying to perform or compete or beat anyone, but I just loved that feeling of like pushing my body and being out of breath and my heart beating. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing for a kid to love. I'm not sure if that's common or not, but I I know that I really enjoyed that feeling. And that's kind of translated into like the competitive side of me is, is pushing myself now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those seeds were planted pretty early on and they've just taken different shapes as you've gotten older and grown as an athlete. Yeah. And, And to fast forward to right now, doing running or cycling or whatever I'm doing postpartum, I love pushing myself and I don't care if anyone sees it or if it's making progress towards any goal. I will go down, I have a trainer in my garage and I'll go down and just like put my head down and like pedal really hard and like it feels so good. And like that gives me so much satisfaction, even though I'm not like necessarily building for a race that I'm doing. I just love that feeling every day. It's kind of a non-negotiable of like, I need to sweat doing something. Has that ever gotten you into trouble? Just that proclivity to want to push yourself hard on a regular basis? Yep. Especially after surgeries or when I'm injured, just trying to find some outlet for me to recreate that. And I don't ever feel like I need to just stay fit when I've been cross training or recovering from a surgery, but I've just like, my mind starts to go crazy. And I've done a lot of thinking about this and just like self-reflection, like, why do you need to move, Stephanie? Like, why why can't you like, get this energy out in another way? And I, I haven't been able to really come up with something that makes me feel the same way. So I have to channel it in different forms that are safe for my body. And I've learned that even if I can't like do what I want to do, if I just go do core for 20 minutes, I'll feel so much better about life. Than not doing anything. Than not at doing all. anything at all. And that's hard to wrap your head around. Like, for example, today, um, we were going to talk about this because Jorge messed up our schedule today because <laughs> we take turns with our, like, we plan our day is pretty, like, okay, you're going to go run at this time and then you're going to take the baby while mm-hmm. I go run. And he missed his window this morning. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, you messed up the whole day. But because um, I kind of have like a weird planned schedule. So I had like 45 minutes this morning to either do something or do nothing. And part of me was like, oh, I'm just going to take a rest day because like, I'm just riding my bike and you can't do too much in 45 minutes. And I'm like, nope, go down and just get it done. So I got it done and like, I feel much better. Have <laughs> you always been pretty adaptable or has it been hard for you in the past to adapt to those situations where you couldn't do what you wanted to do? I've learned how to be adaptable. I I think I'm fairly flexible. Some people may disagree, but um, I, I it was a learned thing because I'm very like by the schedule. Like I'm a planner, and I I like to make lists and check things off. And like when things don't go as I planned, I've I've haven't always been good. Um, and I think I'm still working on that. It depends on what it is. Like things with Julian, I'm. It, it's been a natural shift for me. I just am like, okay, he needs me. Like he had his shots a few days, two days ago, one day ago. He didn't have a good day. He was just like, he didn't feel good. And I was like, okay, so today I'm just going to be holding Julian and soothing him. Plan's out the window. Plan is out the window. And that, when I look at like this, 
since he's been born and my adaptability with him, it's kind of like, wow, that's, that's incredible. Good job. Forgive me if this is too personal of a question, but was that one of your hesitations about becoming a parent in the first place? Was that having to care for another human being, especially in the early stages of their life, would just disrupt your schedule to the point where you didn't think you could deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved my life. I mean, I love my life now, but I loved the freedom of like being able to like schedule my day as I wanted or travel as I wanted. And I worked really hard to get to that point. Like I, I went through school. I went to school from basically age six to age 30. Um, I ended up getting a PhD, but I, I worked so that I could create this lifestyle where I was able to have my own schedule exactly how I wanted it. So yeah, having a little baby that suddenly was going to throw that all out the window was really scary for me to think about. And I think it was an easier shift than I anticipated because suddenly like my heart just melts when, you know, he needs me hurt. He smiles at me and it's not a hard adjustment. It was different than what I thought. I I was thinking it, you know, we were going to have a lot of hard conversations and tears and like trying to figure out how to, how to get things done during the day, but it's just kind of worked. And I, I'm happy to be a mom. I love being a mom. Do you think that is one of the things holding back, let's call it, other folks who do what we do as endurance athletes from becoming parents or taking that next step in their lives is just having to be a little more unselfish, if we're being honest, and you know, giving up some of your time for someone else and not being able to do the things that you know you want to do at the specific times that you want to do them. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a big fear of like, you know, it's going to take away from what you want to do and you have to choose. You have to either be an athlete or you have to be a parent. And I've really found that not to be the case. And in some ways, I think it makes me just a, it makes me a better person, but I think it's going to make me a better athlete and not in the ways that people think like physiologically, okay, you go through like pregnancy and birth and it makes you tougher or whatever. I don't, I don't really think that's true. Um, But I think it makes me appreciate the time that I get and just like, I don't have to focus just on me or just on like getting my run in or my workout. It's like, how does this fit into the bigger picture? And I think that's going to translate into me just not taking things so seriously which helps. So going along those lines, do you think it will shift your purpose for doing these things as well? Yeah, it does. And I, I'm, I mean, it, it, like there's twofold of like the reasons that I, I race and I run. And I think part of it is <laughs> it's my personal time now. It's like, wow, I get, I get an hour to myself every day. And thinking about a race, I'm, I'm already... I'm already thinking about um, my next race hopefully will be UTMB. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But I'm just thinking about that in such a different way. Like, okay, so yeah, obviously I need to prepare my body and get my crew set and my fueling. But okay, then where do I see Julian? And like, how am I going to pump while I run? Or how am I going to feed him? And it just like takes that level of like all the focus on me and running and my place and performance. That edge. Just takes that edge down a notch. And it just makes me feel a little bit like the weight is lifted and like I'm more excited about it. It's fascinating to me as an observer of the sport, but also someone who coaches athletes, how events like that, whether it's having 
a child, even if, I mean, even for the, even for the dad, you know, who didn't give birth to the child or just some other event happens in life that can take an edge off, whatever, whatever that particular edge is for you. And a byproduct of that is performance improves. Um, and I've just, you know, every situation is a little bit different, but I've always just found that to be like really fascinating. And I think there's a lesson there for anyone listening to this, whether they're, you know, elite and professional athletes like the two of you are, or they're just an age grouper who takes their hobby very seriously. It's like, you know what, find a way or find something that makes you take your hobby, maybe just a little less seriously. And you may actually take it to a level that you didn't previously know you could get to. Yeah, you just take a step back and you realize like, oh, I'm doing this. I get to do this, not like I have this pressure to do this. And I think for both of us, it's we're both training for like pretty big races and we're not just training to finish them. We're both right. training to like, do you well. know, do well. And um, I think having Julian is helping us balance it and just not take it so seriously. And it's going to ultimately help us in the experience and just like accepting the outcome, whatever it is. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I want to do well, but I also don't care. I just think it's going to be cool to go and like run around Mont Blanc, hopefully. Um, and then be able to see them at the finish line or actually hopefully throughout the day, yeah. <laughs> throughout the day and the night and the day. Um, and then, you know, we can all celebrate together rather than in the past, just thinking about me. It's just like about me and my performance and like, how am I going to place and all business, all business. And this is more play while still taking it seriously. It's a, it's kind of a, a tricky, a tricky balance, but probably one that you can better achieve at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so for both of us. Yeah. yeah. I think that the the seriousness of in, the independent seriousness of each other, we also just balance each other because I respect and value that Stephanie is very much a planner and very much like, hey, these two hours, I'm not available. I am running. And I'm not very good at that. I'm very much like, oh, I'm going to go run today. But if it doesn't happen, like, it's a great day. Like, you know, and... Initially in our like relationship, like Stephanie was like, wow, for like, I know the marathon times you've run and what you've done in ultra marathons, you don't take yourself all that seriously. And that was a little surprising to her is what she revealed to me. And I'm like, ah, you know, I, I have fun and I work hard when I need to, but you know, your energy comes from different places. And, uh, and I think, you know, especially in a relationship like the one the two of you have, it's, it's interesting to see, like, to learn that about your partner. It's like, oh, well, we do similar things, but we approach it in different ways. And the things that energize him might like freak you out. And like the things that (laughs) that energize you might drive him up the wall. And and, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about just athletics and relationships and the intermingling of the two things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're balancing each other well, and I'm giving him a little kick in the butt to get his training going and it's going well. And he's like helped me just like chill out a little bit and um, kind of just been my number one fan of like, you know, like I'm just kind of starting to get back into running and just like, wow, great job. Like you ran a nine minute mile. That's so amazing. And I need that a lot right now. Yeah. And, and trying to be supportive. It's like, it maybe selfishly makes me feel good, but I love, you know, like most recently, you know, Julian just feeds off mom, but being able the other day where it was like, 
And you'll have to excuse us. We've had an additional contributor here. I need a fourth mic for Mr. Julian <laughs> yeah, over here. I, is that, um, you know, Stephanie's like, I'm going to go ride with a friend. I'm like, great. Like, don't stress. And I was like, the night before, like, was doing laundry, setting up her bike. So it's lubed up, tires are ready. So that that next morning we had less stress. And I went out for a run at like 530 in the morning, came back you know, did all the preparations for Joaquin getting to school and like taking Julian with me because of her times that she went and rode with a friend. And I had a bottle and was like, babe, take your time. Julian's fine. Like, I want you to enjoy. I want you to train and I want you to do it peacefully without, you know, and that's like the mutual just support that we have of each other. And I think that's what's making it like work so well. You know, and that's grounded in respect for one another as well, knowing like she needs that to be the best version of herself, but her also recognizing what you need to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And I tell her this all the time and I exist in it where I'm like, hey, like, I love you because we're a partnership, but like independently, like I respect, value and love you as an athlete and everything and anything that I can do to support and contribute to your interests and goals and success, I'm, I'm all in, it's, you know? It's pretty incredible for us both to have that support and to give that to each other. I, I've never been in a relationship where I felt so supported and just like, like I said, he's my number one fan and, and it's such a great thing. And hopefully you think I'm your number one fan. Yeah. Too. I was going to say, I feel exactly <laughs> the same where I haven't had that before and like feel so supported. And you know, that sort of mellow approach to training, I'm getting a little bit more of my ass kicked by someone who's telling me like, no, you need to get out there, go do this. And it's just like, wow. Okay. If I can interject here, I'm glad that you are providing that for him because I've long thought that he's needed a kick in the ass or at least a little (laughs) bit of discipline because you've got talent coming like through your ears, but like for you, I mean, you could be like, ah, day off, no big deal. Oh, four days off, no big deal. And then then I'll go (laughs) knock on a long run. And then what you're able to achieve off of that, I just like shake my head. I'm like, that's, that's incredible. But at the same, (laughs) at, at the same time, like, you know, if you're able to be just a little bit more consistent, you might've been able to break through even higher yeah I, I think there I, I don't argue that I've learned to not argue that. I think there's a lot more experienced uh, runners or coaches who probably would allude to the same thing um, and who, who knows maybe I maybe my best days are still ahead of me with that approach but I think I've also the fun factor and the just enjoyment and pleasure of the challenge I guess maybe under my terms is what makes it fun I, I don't know if I could exist in a like very, very detailed training. You know, That's I, fair. Yeah. I, I, I'm not I sure. I think you're right about that. I, I'm sure I could because I'm stubborn enough to do it for an extended period of time, but I'm not sure that I would still enjoy it. Well, I, I don't there's know. There's a good balance with that. So yeah, yeah you are going to get in your run later today. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's tricky to find. Well, you have to. And I think especially in your case when you know, you've got this 100 miler hanging over your head seven weeks from now, like that's enough to keep you honest and accountable or it should be anyway. Yeah, yeah. You can fake your way through that distance and most certainly when you're trying to approach it and, and, and achieve it, you know? Well, I have you, Jorge, on the mic talking about your running 
right now. Let's just go back to your story, and I want to dig specifically into your relationship with the sport. You mentioned earlier how you started running track in elementary school and had opportunities to Mm -hmm. compete, and I don't want to fast forward too much, but we'd be here all day if we went through yeah. the separate podcast. Yeah, if we if we went through the 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 dirty details of your entire story. But I know for you, in terms of your relationship to competitive running as an adult, I mean, it's not something that you did collegiately and were like, oh, I'm going to see what I can do as as a post collegiate, maybe in the marathon, and then that led to ultras, as we know people tend to do. Yeah. In, in the sport these days, but take me back to, you know, however many years ago it was that running kind of, I'll say came back into your life because yeah. it was, it was there at an earlier point And I know that it was missing for a little while. Yeah. It's actually, uh, it, it was a very pivotal point in, in my life and where I was entering a new decade, which you soon will be too. <laughs> Very was, soon. Yeah, I was, uh, it's, it's funny enough that it's full circle and that it's grounded me because it was when I was like about to turn 30 and was like, hey, like I was playing just recreational, well, competitive soccer because I played soccer in college, but was just like, you know, I'm tired of showing up on Mondays with beat up ankles and kicks and bruises. And I'm like, I just, I need to go back to running. I'm a runner. And so I picked up Runner's World magazine in search of like all runners run a marathon. So I need to run a marathon. And at that point, I'd only run as far as a 12K. And that in itself is a wonderful story. But I was just scrolling through um, the magazine and came across this big advertisement that said, join us for the inaugural North Face Endurance Challenge. And I was like, wow, what is this? And then it had a distance it's, I've never seen before. And it said 50K. And I was like, wow, 50K, what's that? I was like, that's 31 miles. And I was like, wait, I'm turning 30 and entering my 31st year of life, 31 miles. It's this meant to be. Perfect. <laughs> no idea what I was getting myself into outside of just the lure of running and through trails and at an extremely far long distance that I couldn't imagine. And more importantly, at that time, I was 30 pounds heavier than what I currently am. You know, I'm about 160 now. So I was just about 190. And so that was kind of one of the pivotal reasons why I was like, man, I need to do something for myself. I need to do something for myself. I can't believe I weigh this much. And so that has been a really grounding reality for me because when I think of myself as a runner, that's who I think of myself as. So I think that sort of like social um, expandable personality to connect with all types of runners, it's because I, well, my first marathon was a 301. You know, I, I know what it's like to get a burrito and a milkshake and give me extra tacos because I'm justifying it with my two mile run, (laughs) you know? And so those difficult and complex daily decisions are very much relatable to the, dare I say, just average runner to then like evolve to like that first 50K Mario I ran to this day. I'm like, wow, I ran a 621 for the inaugural North Face Endurance Challenge. I have evolved and I say this very humbling and more just as a analytic perspective. I have run the North Face 50 miler and I have my best time there has been a 621. 
So I've essentially evolved to running 19 more miles. Same amount of time. Only two minutes slower than mere initial. And so that evolution has humbled me and has brought me to places of like, wow, I can't believe, you know, um, what it's evolved and become to. Um, but running has essentially become this incredible tool. How did it evolve from flipping through that Runner's World magazine, deciding that you were going to do the North Face 50K because you were entering your 31st year of life to the point where you started to dream bigger and get more competitive and chase goals such as national championships and qualifying for Western states. And I mean, to fast forward even a few more years, try and qualify for the Olympics and the marathon for your home country of El Salvador. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been an interesting path, that's for sure, but it's not one that as life has showed me, you do alone. It's been a community of people. And it's funny enough, this was, uh, what, Evolved it, and for me, it was uh, numerous circumstances. But I think one in particular that I remember very vividly is very key members of our community. You know, and it's funny that it evolved into opening other opportunities. Is much and long before SFRC was even a thought. I was out on a run with Brett Rivers and Nathan from MHPB mm-hmm. and a couple other friends. And I was still at the beginning stages of my trail running and, and so were they, but they were way more experienced than I was. They had run marathons and, you know, I'd done one 12K and then, you know, training for a 50K. And I remember running with them and seeing like, and this was years after running my 50K, like how easily they ran on trails is particularly uphills. I just thought, you know, when I was younger, I was a really good runner. I just... I need to start focusing. I need to take myself maybe a little more serious. And so I started making just some nutritional changes and I started recognizing, well, what are my weaknesses? What don't I like? And I realized uphill running was a big battle for me. So I said, well, I'm going to become best friends with uphills. And so I just evolved and it just transformed. And I think in particular, 2011 was a really like just sort of turn of the coin where I ended up running a lot of different trail races and oddly was won almost every trail race that year and set new course records. And then some people were like, hey, you should seek sponsorship. And I was like, what's sponsorship? <laughs> and uh, I ended up running Tahoe 100, which was- um, National championship at the time. Yeah. And I was just there like, can I finish the race? Can I do the distance? And- Man, amazing if I can do it under tw- that coveted sub twenty four hours, and um, I I did it. End up breaking the tape, and that just sort of evolved into the yeah, ad. Shortly thereafter, like Solomon contacted me and was just like, "Hey, we've seen you, and you know we're interested." And um, kind of joined the U.S. Solomon team, and it only took a few more months where I got a really like life changing email from Greg Vallee in uh, HQ in Annecy and said, hey, we would like to invite you to come on this trip. Um, could you join us, please? And I was like, wow. And I, my response was, well, this sounds amazing, but what is this going to cost me? And he says, the moment you leave your door to the moment you come back, zero dollars. And I was like, what? It was a two and a half week trip. We went down to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 
and did some filming for ESPN Brazil and ran a race uh, just north of Rio. And then we flew down to Argentina and ran the Patagonia Trail Marathon. And then I flew home and was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know? And then from there, it just, hey, can you come to China for three weeks and help teach some trail running, uphill and downhill running techniques? And we're going to go to seven different cities and it's a three-week commitment. And uh, yes. And then it just evolved and, you know, it just... I didn't quite understand it because I was experiencing it, but was just thinking of like, I'm just that farm worker kid. I'm just that 30 pounds heavier guy, you know? And so it was really wild. And so a lot of my friends like Brett and those guys who in the past in trail races would just like eat me to pieces suddenly were like, dude, we can't keep up with this guy. He's like, where did he come from? How is he like achieving these trail things and it was just I think unknown to me as well that I had this capability or ability. Same question I asked Stephanie a little while ago do you have a competitive streak or did something bring it out in you during that time or was this all ability and work and just the natural ascension that happens when those two things meet? I think it was the combination of coming back to running, knowing it was just a big part of my life in the past. And then, yeah, working hard, working real hard. And it, those two merging and sort of just then showcasing what was possible. And I still, to this day, feel very much like, man, I, I've yet to run my fastest road marathon. And that's still a very much big goal of mine, just as much as I'm excited that, like, I want to go toe a line at a trail ultra marathon and yeah there's the sport has evolved and i've been fortunate to see it evolve in different ways with marketing and a lot of fast younger guys but i love the fact that i told the line and be like yep i'm 15 years older than you still and, here and you better watch it you know don't count me out just because you see me as a 43 year old dad i'm more like no i'm kevin i'm carrying like my own challenges my own goals but little in my own mind, like I'm carrying the weight of all of those community members and all those people with me as well to motivate me to be like, yeah, those dads, like I'm carrying the weight of the 40 plus year old dads who are like, hell yeah, like he's representing us or, you know, minorities or whatever. And I'm just like, that's what it motivates me. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like I've joked with like, you know, I've been very involved in the running industry and, you know, I've run a couple of races and I go over to the marketing director guys and I'm like, huh, so the guys you pay money, they're, are we still waiting for them? Like, <laughs> those are the guys you sponsor? Cool. Like, that's great, you know? We don't have a ton of time left during this conversation. I want to be careful not to skip over what you have coming up about seven weeks from now, and that's Western States. You're in on a sponsor slot. It'll be your first ultra and I, I don't even know how long. I don't even know if you know how long <laughs> at, at this point. How are you thinking about that race now as a dad of two boys, as someone who has been away from the ultra scene for quite a while, as someone who hasn't run a hundred mile in an even longer period of time and just where we are in the world today with events having been canceled left and right over the last, you know, year plus, like what's fueling you 
right now and through these next seven weeks before you take the start line? Oh man, I mean, there's it's a good question or questions. I have, I mean, I have a lot that fuels me. One is, you know, the the presence right here is, you know, Stephanie and Julian, and you know, we we now have Joaquin here with us, uh, and family means a lot to me. Um, I I also just have so much support and so much respect from Stephanie that. I love it. And I think that I, I'm approaching it despite that I've been a little bit away from the sport. I I just, given the times we've had over the course of this pandemic and whatnot, I just feel so beyond grateful that I get to go run a hundred miles. I'm I'm fortunate to like toe the line and of, of any race, this is Western States. Like I've run it three times and I've had three different experiences and, you know, as much as I'm prepping to have my best foot forward at the start line and inevitably have a desire to compete, it, that's not the driving force. I'm just driven by like, man, like I get to go run a hundred miles. That is like fascinating and amazing. And like through the work that I'm currently doing in my training I'm pretty impressed on what I'm capable of doing just in training. So I'm just like, I feel good about, I'm just going to arrive very healthy, very in the right mindset of just embracing the community that we all get to be back in and just like let the day just unfold. Like I'm just there to be me on the trails. And I think that's just super exciting, you know? Before I turn the mic over to, Stephanie, let's dig into that last part just a little bit more. Who are you on the trails? I remember maybe it was on your website a few years ago, or maybe it was a magazine that gave you this. They called you the happiest guy <laughs> in ultra running. And yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that yeah. moniker, but I'd love to get your own thoughts on who you are on the trails. Um, I think those who have volunteered at Western States in the three years I've run the event would probably uh, confirm that I just come into the aid stations just like being thankful for everyone being there and probably making some sort of joking tone to make this enjoyable for all, you know? And I think that's always been the critical draw for me to exist in because it isn't about me it's about the collective environment and the collectiveness of each and every single person who's there and 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 now you know who those who experience it virtually and that has just been always my mo and so i just i'm just happy in those moments and like i love i love being in them they 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 sort of like bring out the best in me, you know, and even in moments where I've been low. So I think I do really run really joyful and happily and it's, and, and just running competitively and, you know, not to digress, but you've seen this, I've been silly where people were like, I, a few years ago ran the San Francisco marathon and like there was the lead car and there was a photographer and I was just like, there's a motorcycle. And I was like, I'm very confident at 13 miles into the race, what I'm capable of doing. And I'm going to do it because he's going to capture this moment. And I know I remember that video. (laughs) That moment is going to be something that I want people to perhaps experience and 
take something further than the competitive side of it. And I'm going to jump over this motorcycle. And I did. I jumped over the motorcycle. And it was about the communal and fun message I wanted to convey, irrelevant of what the result was on that day. Take this in the manner in which it's intended, but do you consider yourself a showman? Mm, I'm, I'm like immediately resistant to answer that because I, I, I want to think critically of that and I would immediately would say no, but I guess by the nature of sometimes of what I do, it could be interpreted that way. And in the, in fact, in the past, someone has said that to me because one time I, I ran the Reading Marathon and I like jumped over the finish line tape and someone was like, man, that's, you're such a show off. And I was like, huh, I took that very personal and was just like, I wasn't showing off. I was just having fun. But I didn't say show off. I said show man. Showman, and, yeah. and I think there's a very big difference between the two because I, I view a showman as someone who does something like jump over a motorcycle or jump over the finish line or, or whatever it yeah. is that you do like in that moment because there are other people around and you know it will elicit a reaction, you might get them to smile or you might get them to cheer for you. Um, because, I mean, we've all seen it, you know, especially in a race like San Francisco Marathon. I mean, you're running through the city and people are like, yeah, da, da, yeah nice job, nice job. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're out here. You might as well like start yelling and totally. like, like kind of go crazy. So that's what I meant yeah, with that I would, question. I would say, yeah, there is, uh, there's definitely truth to that. Yeah, I love... If, if I can be a contributor to making you smile or making you perhaps change your perspective in a positive manner in what you are currently existing in, I'm, and I have that opportunity, I'm going to, you know, because that's just almost the nature of my personality too. You know? That's a beautiful answer to my question. Thank you. <laughs> and going back to Western States, actually, I, one of my favorite Jorge memories, I was crewing for um, Nikki Kimmel, who was mm-hmm. a teammate and friend of mine, and Jorge came through, again, 49, uh, Highway 49, aid station. I was there waiting for Nikki, and he was just like like stumbling in, just looked terrible. And he sits down in the chair and was just like, big smile on his face, like, I can't believe how terrible I feel right now. This is so crazy. Just like people are cracking <laughs> up, and like he he's making everyone smile. And I'm like, wow, he is having a terrible race, and he's still smiling about it. And not many people can do that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just, I think like it's, um, again, like when you've experienced so much adversity in life, you, it, you have a certain perspective and then you, we all have a choice. And I think that I've just have elected to bring that sort of joy and pleasure. And, and, and if I can contribute to making people see things differently, and if in that visualization or that experience, even if it's momentarily, like have a little smile in their day, then great. I think that's wonderful. And we all need that in some way or another, because we never know where people are at and it's good to meet people where they are. And if you meet them where they are, and if you perhaps change in that moment, how they feel, and it's a positive smiling one, then good. That's healthy. And it's healthy for us all. All right. We've got to dock this boat because I know you need to go pick up (laughs) Joaquin from school. But before we do, I'm going to turn the mic back over to 
Stephanie, I just want to get some perspective from you about how you're thinking about the rest of this year and your career as a competitive trail and ultra runner now that you're a new mom. Yeah, I haven't put pressure on myself to get back and perform. Um, I I have a race on the calendar, but more so that's a personal goal of like, Mm -hmm. I have not had a good loop around Mount Blanc ever. Um, So I I, want to keep going back until I feel like, okay, that was a a day with fewer tears and no helicopter rides. (laughs) Um, So I, I see this as, you know, not... A lot of people say like they have a baby and then they want to get their body back so they can compete. And I just see it as like, this is me and I'm evolving from here. And I definitely want to be a competitive runner, but I I see myself as like a mom first and like running is something that's really cool. And I, I actually want to like, I don't care at all if Julian is an athlete. He doesn't have to be a runner or any endurance sport, but we want him to love the outdoors. And so part of me doing my my trail racing and and training is like also really cool because I think we'll be able to show him like nature and the mountains. And that to Mm -hmm. me just is so exciting to think about showing him the things that we love. And so I see my competitive career and my being a mom very much intertwined. And mm-hmm. that really excites me. Um, it actually gives me more motivation for for both. And when I think about my opportunities to race, it, it's just like, like, like we talked about, just like there's a little bit less pressure and just like taking it down a notch. And I still want to do the most competitive races. And I hope to be on the starting line and be a contender, um, this year included, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, everything is just all in a, in a little bit different balance and that's a really incredible feeling. So we'll see, um, traveling to France might be a little tough this year. Just love to see how things, things unfold, but, um, yeah, I plan to to still race and I think it's going to be great. I love it. Well, I appreciate both of your time. We went almost two hours here. I'm going to need at least like two hours with each of you <laughs> at some wow. point so I can dig deeper into each of your respective stories. But Jorge Maravilla, Stephanie Howe, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, Mario. It's an honor and a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Tracksmith and Gooder for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and evolving culture of the sport. They recently released their spring collection full of stylish gear perfected for the pursuit of personal excellence. Designed for running hard and logging miles as the season shifts, this collection is designed with endurance in mind. And right now, Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Just use the code MARIO15, that's MARIO15, when you check out at Tracksmith.com. Gooder sunglasses are just the best. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. They're also super affordable, with most pairs costing just 25 to 35 bucks a piece. I'm a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. And yes, those are just a couple of the recklessly fun names that they have in their collection. So, if you want to support the podcast and treat yourself to a pair of Gooders, head over to gooder.com slash Mario, or enter the code Mario at checkout to take advantage of a great deal. 
15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your entire order. Your face will thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. Couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>